one of the things I look forward to, even for eternity, is to have those conversations with those missionary heroes of old. I mean, from the apostles to to William Carey and Hudson Taylor and and Amy Carmichael and Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, and just to to have those conversations of and ask questions of of what it was like to be involved in that frontier pioneer gospel work, trailblazing work. And and that will be great, and and we thank God for those, and how God has used, and He's always given the church those, those those that are out there on the leading edge of the gospel's advance. But it will also be a joy to to have conversations for eternity with the countless thousands and millions of those who who flew under the radar, under our radar, but not under God's. And they were there, and I would say probably the vast majority of the gospel's advance has been through very ordinary people with ordinary means. God opens many doors through the trailblazers, but what happens is it's it's ordinary people. It says the nationals come to faith in Christ and begin talking with their family and neighbors and, and getting burdened for the tribes on the next islands and across the island and, and going and going and going. And it will be a joy to see that. And, and, and I say that because that, that's where we're at this, this summer in this series. That this morning we're going to get to the real nitty gritty of a, of a leveraged life. What does it really look like? How does it actually work? And, and I'll say it again. In, we said this last week, but if you, if we don't get the why right, um, the how is, is, is really doesn't even matter. So if we don't if we don't get the motivation, if we're not enamored with the glory of God and full of the spirit of God and, and compelled by the love of God and 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 gripped by the mandate of God, then this business of how is is kind of is futile. It's not going to really take root in your life You can get all fired up for a moment of mission, we said. But but that life of mission is going to elude us. Unless we're really compelled and motivated by those deep convictions. And so continue to pray and ask God to grow those in you. And I, as I am for myself. But So this series isn't an invitation then for us to sign up for some big mission mountaintop adventure. Where we just kind of gear ourselves up and get pumped up and do something and then we go back to life. No, the whole, this, the whole point of this is helping all of us. All of us begin to be more fully engaged in making disciples down in the plains where we live of just normal everyday life. And that's what the real hope is. Infusing our normal lives with this great commission intentionality. I read a quote and it's on the screen behind me here. I read this the first week and I just want to share it again because I think it helps us to think what this series is about and what it's not about. And this is from a book, Life on Mission. And he says, we cannot just look at mission as something to add to our schedules, but something to intersect with our current daily rhythms. Life on Mission is about intersecting gospel intentionality into our everyday routines. The objective is not to get you involved in some new mission program or create another church event, but rather to walk alongside you in creating gospel intentionality within your already present everyday rhythms. And so that's what we're working for. And this morning we really get into the how of that. And for the next several weeks, this morning, calling it maximizing the mundane, to, 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 
to say that even to to maximize the mundane. What we're not saying is that what God is doing in this world is in any way mundane. Now, the mission of God is not ordinary. It's not mundane at all. What is what is mundane is that God's mission it moves forward through very through the very ordinariness of life. Lost dogs and plugged pipes and just the stuff of life. I mean, that's what mo- that's how God's mission most often moves forward. That's probably the t- truth for your own testimony. It was a, someone taking you to a meal, somebody showing interest in you. And, and, and that's the normal mode. What, and, and so it's not about special activities. It's about very normal activities being seen and done in light of this new identity we have as Christians, that we are, we are the sent ones. We have been given this mandate. We are, we have this missionary identity. Whether we stay here, whether we go across the seas, that is who we are. And, and, and that is to characterize us till Christ returns or till we die. And so maximizing the mundane then is another way of saying it's, it's about very ordinary people. No offense, but that's what we are. Very ordinary people doing very ordinary things, but with gospel intentionality. That's what we'll see and want to unpack for you this morning. Now, where do we look to see a, an example of what this looks like? We have many, we have many examples in this room, but the greatest example is Christ Himself. If you want to know what a leveraged life looks like, you look at Jesus in the Gospels and His ministry here on earth, and He is the model of maximizing the mundane. He's, He's the model of using the stuff of everyday life, and yet, and yet infusing in it this, this, this advance of his mission. And so that's what we're going to see this morning. So we're in Luke chapter 5. And we do a little pop quiz here before we even get there. Um, just fill in the blanks on this sentence in your head anyway. The Son of Man came. What goes after that? There are, there are several statements in Scripture. Uh, there are a few in the Gospels. And the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10.45 or Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Or you get to Luke 7.34. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, we have these... Huge statements of the purpose of why Christ came. This is why He came. He came to serve. He came to give His life as a ransom. He came to seek and to save the lost. And you have this third statement in a unique context, but it's not about why. It's about how He came. It's about method in a sense. It's unlike John the Baptist, and we'll look at this text in a moment. Jesus came eating and drinking. And as you read through the gospel accounts, particularly the the gospel of Luke, you find Jesus eating with people all the time. If you like to eat, Luke is your gospel. I mean, that, that one of his main mission strategies is eating long meals that extend well into the evening. He's doing it all the time. He, he does evangelism and discipleship around the table with some, you know, baked fish and loaf of bread and a glass of wine. I mean, this is his this is how he's spending most of his time, it seems like. And so you have Luke's account. It's full of stories of eating. Luke 5, we'll see in a moment. Jesus is eating with tax, collector, tax collectors and sinners in the house of his new disciple, Levi, or Matthew. 
In Luke 7, he's anointed by this sinful woman at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Luke 9, he feeds the 5,000. Luke 10, he eats in the home of Martha and Mary. Luke 11, he condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law at a meal. Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges the people to invite the poor to their meals, not just their friends. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner at Zacchaeus' house. Luke 22, you have the account of the Lord's Supper. Luke 24, you have the meal with the two disciples after they made it to Emmaus. And then you have him later eating fish with his disciples in Jerusalem. One commentator says that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. That's <laughs> what it seems like. He, he, and, and, but what we see in the ministry of Jesus, it's not, these are not just opportunities to fill his belly and they're just recorded for our interest. No, these are opportunities to further God's cause. It's the normal stuff of life. And again, we get one example in Luke chapter 5. And, and look at this in verse 27, that Jesus is a, attending a banquet, a feast. He just walked by Matthew as he's collecting taxes. And he says, follow me. And Matthew follows him. And, and there's a celebratory feast as, as Matthew invites his friends, his tax collecting buddies and his other friends and neighbors. And they're at Levi's house. And this causes a scandal. So verse 27, uh, Luke chapter 5. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is a scandalous scene here. Tax collectors, Matthew's friends, co-workers, they're, they're despised and reviled in Israel. These are the lowlifes, the shady characters considered cheats and traitors. They were collaborators with, with, with Rome and they're the ones that are occupying God's land. So these are Jews that have collaborated with basically God's enemies. So it's not just that they're betraying the nation in the sense they're betraying God. And yet God in Christ sits and eats with these enemies. And the Pharisees and the scribes are all in a tizzy. And, and don't just drop the stones right now. I know you want to throw them at them and we, we're ready to pounce on them. But you would probably probably be struggling with this scene too. If I could bring it into the present, and this is not a perfect parallel, but I, and, and that's not my point, but just say a mom comes to you with this dilemma and is just meets you for coffee and this is the question. My, my gay daughter wants to bring her partner to our house on Christmas morning when our family is celebrating Christmas and opening gifts. What should I do? Now, there are probably strong opinions in this room on how to answer that question and even the legitimacy of that question, but I'm not even, I'm not asking you to answer that right now. What I want you to do is feel that weight and that tension. That, that's how weighty and tense this scene was in the first century. The question of the day was, is it, 
Is it remotely okay for a godly person to eat with tax collectors and sinners? And notice Luke describes Jesus' table companions as tax collectors and others. But the Pharisees call them tax collectors and sinners, verse 39. And so the message is clear enough. Though the others, the others don't meet the standard of purity that the Pharisees have set. And they expect others to be measured by. So whose side are you going to take here? Please tell me Jesus' side. Please say it. Just, just do the Sunday school answer. Uh, it's always better to take to side with Jesus. But, but I don't want you to miss the tension here. That, that Jesus is a friend of sinners, but he's not a friend of sin. He came to call people to repentance, Luke 5.32 says. We're, not, we're to leave our sin, we're to follow him. Just like Matthew did, but so don't don't the Pharisees have sort of valid point here? What what about the possibility of corruption? Paul's going to say bad company corrupts good character. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three. Proverbs has much to say about the need to be careful with our friendships and associations, and and what represented the closest of intimacy in this day socially was the table. So, so there's legitimate concern. We, we tend to be like those that we hang out with, right? And so we need to be careful. That's all true. And Jesus did spend most of his time with his disciples. But Jesus also regularly ate and drank with sinful sinners. The holiest man ever ate and drank with the unholiest people. And yet it was not sin. That these meals are expressions of gospel grace, of God in love and truth moving toward those he came to save. What he says speaks of his grace and what he communicates in these meals. And so there is this verbal element, but it's also just the act of sitting with these sinners communicates grace. Just, just a caution to us. We can work so hard to protect ourselves and our families from the kinds of people that Jesus wants to reach. Whether, whether it's a lifestyle or whether it's a, re, a certain religion. This, this isn't true holiness. This is a cheap substitute. And so it's not just our moral lives, but even our social lives that need to reflect the heart of Christ. There are so many. I'm not trying to cover that whole element. And so if you've got questions, uh, there are many other principles and biblical truths at work that need to play in some of those decisions. That's not my point. But Jesus' willingness to sit down and eat and drink with sinners is right in line with his mission. Because why did he come? We said this. He came to seek and to save the lost. But you say, it's just a meal. It is. It's just a meal. And yet Jesus infuses it with this, I would say, gospel intentionality by eating with the surprising company and showing the surprising grace. That's instructive to us. Another quick example, Luke 7. And we won't be able to work through all of this theme. Luke 7, turn there with me. There's a lot going on in this chapter Verse 18 and following, the disciples of John the Baptist, are they, they're sent by John to ask some questions of Jesus. And they're basically, are you the one, Jesus? Are you the promised one? Or is there going to be somebody else coming after you? And Jesus uh, sends word back to John and, and the summary of it basically is, yes, I am the one. 
And John, you're the, you're the one who was prophesied, the one who would be the forerunner of Messiah. And so verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, is none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, interesting, They declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Verse 31. And then he says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like little children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. That's Jesus. And as we'll see, we sang a dirge and you did not weep. John. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. And so the rap on, again, I can't, this is, I can't give a lengthy exposition on this text, but I just, I I want you to see the, the rap on Jesus is he's a glutton and a drunkard. And neither of those things are true. He was without any sin. And both of those things are sin. But he did give his enemies enough ammunition to make those charges kind of stick. And the charge stuck, not because of his eating and drinking per se, not because of what he was eating and drinking, but because of who he was eating and drinking with. They were the bottom of the religious food chain. One commentator said, in Luke's account, Jesus basically got himself killed because of the way he ate. And then you get to the next verse, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees, following up with this scene, asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So he reclined with the reprobates, the tax collectors and sinners. Now he's reclining with the religious elite of the day. And verse 37, and behold, or... Aha! See, don't miss this. The surprise, shock. A woman of the city who was a sinner. I'll let you connect those dots. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Awkward. I mean, you can't you can't even begin to to get how tense and awkward this scene was. There's probably no more tense scene in in the Gospels than this right here. This episode episode would have everybody there would be holding their breath. <gasps> I mean, they'd be trying they'd be looking for the exit. Like I'm just going to slither out here. This is this is uncomfortable. The text says Simon scoffs to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know what who's doing this and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. How how would you have reacted? This is this unnamed, uninvited, unwelcomed, unlovely woman treats Jesus in this highly inappropriate way. Tears, hair, touching in that culture. Uh uh-uh. uh. Especially of a rabbi, a distinguished teacher. I doubt you would have looked at that and thought it was sweet. And Jesus answering said to him, verse 40, Simon, 
Again, he's just thinking these things, muttering them under his breath, but he, Jesus knows his thoughts. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And then he tells him a parable. And i got to hit the gas here. I'm sorry. And it's to teach this point of forgiveness. But look at verse 47. I, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Look at all that's happening here. Evangelism, conversion, discipleship, rebuke. Admonition, instruction, and it's just a meal. It's just a meal. He just went there to eat. We see Jesus welcoming sinners, the sinners flocking to Jesus. Now, the refined and the religious were generally repulsed by Jesus, and so he was a horrible offense to many. And the gospel is always an offense. But Jesus himself, they're the down and out, the desperate, the outcast. They're drawn to him in a sense. And I just say, I, some Christians, and I may be one of them. I don't, I hope not. But I, but some, we live like we have buzz off written across our foreheads or something. I mean, I, we've, we've just noticed this and made the observation in our neighborhood. And I hope this isn't hypercritical judgment. But some of the neighbors who are the most difficult and unfriendly people that we've met in our neighborhood are the ones that profess to be believers. And, of course, when they hear I'm a pastor, they they think I'm their ally in neighborhood meetings, and I'm just like, can I sit over here? (laughs) Uh, So that's not like Jesus. He's not soft on sin at all. He has, but he has this genuine compassion for sinners. And the simple act of eating a meal is demonstration of grace as he speaks the truth to them. Now, now get this. Meals don't save people. So as we're going to talk and really get to the how-to, it's not be friendly and invite your neighbors and have big cookouts and, and, and throw a big party and people are just going to start getting saved. No. The gospel is a word. And, 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 and as a word, it's that, but what we're saying is, is that this word, it's the gospel that saves, the gospel is a word, but that word is, is, is best communicated and is most often received in the context of the stuff of everyday life. So the mission is not just let's make the coolest, you know, attractional church we can have and have, you know, kids ministry extreme and all these cool programs and, and rock and music and let's just make it so people will just want to come here and then they can hear the gospel. That's not what we're after to just attract people here. What we're after is, is let's go to where people are, to those people that Christ came to save and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in that context of ordinary life. There's night and day difference. And for the for the time that remains, I want to we're going to get real practical and we're going to apply this how of Jesus ministry in in our context. And and so this is the put it into practice part of the sermon. And so how do we begin to better maximize the mundane? Now, I don't even want you to try and write down everything I'm about to say. Just just relax and it's okay. Some ideas and some things I'm going to say may really interest you. And you think, oh, man, that's that I could see that I could see really doing that. 
write those things down. You can always go back and listen. And, but I, and, and my point is not do all of these things. I'm, I want us to just begin to think about our own lives, our own gifts, our own interests, our own, our own uh, neighbors, our own uh, kind of station and situation in life. And how might God be wanting you, me to use and leverage my life and, and use just the mundane, ordinary stuff of life for the cause of the gospel? That's, I, I just want to get you thinking. And, 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 and this is what I'm trying to do for my own life. I'm not standing here saying I do all these things or I do any of them well. Um, I am not the example here. But I, I just there's a lot of thought, a lot of watching, a lot of observing and just some ways to get us thinking about this. So I'm, I'm going to list several things off. The first one is this. is List your ordinary activities and routines. And this, is your, this is step one. Just write things down. Think about your day. Think about first your daily routines. Commute, your meals, your chores, your dog walking, playing with children, schooling, exercise, whatever your daily routine, routines are, just write those down. And it's going to be specific to you. And there will be a lot on there. But just however mundane, and you think, that's too simple. That's, just, uh, yeah, I just, you know, write it down anyway. It's your, your weekly routines, grocery shopping. Maybe you have a TV show you watch every week or a, or a, a game. You watch a, the football game every Saturday or Sunday. Uh, you do yard work. You You have carpooling duty once a week. You exercise once a week instead of every day. It's part of your weekly routine. Uh, so write those down. And again, your list is going to be long. Your monthly routines. You get a haircut maybe once a month. I see this is, you think shaving a head is simpler, but you have to do it all the time. And it's not, it's just like daily or weekly. Um, you, you, ha- you do outings as a family maybe. Maybe, maybe exercises in your monthly routine. I don't know, but, uh, but you write those down. So daily, weekly, monthly routine. Just get a sense, kind of catalog your life, the ordinary stuff of life, so you can see them. And again, this should be a long list. Second, that's very simple. Now think about ways to infuse some of those ordinary activities with what we're calling gospel intentionality. Are the ways to do these same things, but to do them, to see them and to do them differently with more of that intentionality? Are there things that I tend to do alone that maybe I can do with other people? Other believers or other other non-believers. Uh, and this is where you can talk as a family and and with friends and, and begin to, this, man, this is some of the things, you know, kind of help me think through this. What should we, what can we do with these routines of our lives? So just uh, these are some sub points under this category of infusing things with gospel intentionality. These are, again, just a few tips. Not that I'm the example in all of these, so don't ask me how I do it. Um, one thing I will say is be a regular be a regular. Instead of going all over the place to buy gas and groceries and get haircuts and eating out and getting coffee, go to the same places and generally try to go at the same time if you can. And so you can you can get to know the staff. You can get to know other regular customers if you're, again, visiting the same places at the same time. And and, and this is where, again, you gotta, you got to get the tattoo removed off your head that says buzz off. You smile. You, you look at people. You... You, you put leave the smartphone in the pocket, and you can you can wait through a checkout line without checking you know email or whatever. It's it's possible. Um, learn names, ask questions, build relationships. I mean, just just go into. Um, 
we were watching this brain game show that my kids are into now. And to me, it's like going to school. It's not enjoyable. It's not entertaining at all. But I wasn't, there was this guy that was a memory expert and was like the memory champion. I didn't know there was such a thing. But he was talking about how to remember names. And the first thing he said is just go into a conversation thinking, I want to learn this guy's name. And he said, that alone is going to help you with most names. But it's just that intentionality. It's like I'm going into this, I'm going and, and, and to the mailbox with, if somebody, God brings somebody in my path, I'm going to talk with them and I'm going to ask some questions and, and, and show genuine concern. And uh, there's people that I've, yeah, met and I'm, God has opened up relationships. I can just testify. Just being a regular is, is a big part. Second thing, get outside. Get outside. We spend too much time alone indoors. That we take walks through your neighborhood after dinner and talk with people and smile and be friendly. Play with your kids on the driveway or in the front yard instead of just retreating to the backyard behind the privacy fence. Um, go to the park, take a soccer ball or frisbee and, and be inviting. Get others in the game with you and your kids and your friends and at baseball practice, you take your kids to practice. I've said this before, but don't just sit in the car, read a book. Get out there. Mix it, with, mix it up with people. and Just get outside. Third, this is just still a sub-point under this second point. A hobby with non-Christians. You have hobbies of some kind, I'm sure. And, and share those with others. Get involved in county league sports or running clubs or cycling teams. Teach lessons, guitar lessons or music, sewing. I mean, just get involved in those things or take lessons. There's all kinds of free lessons and opportunities. I know the library has like chess lessons for beginners to advanced. And it's free and you just get to be in, with people and play chess and talk and meet people and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> There's there's a game store in Fayetteville. I've never I am not that board game person. Some of you are, and all those strategy games and stuff. That is not me. But I know they have. I see all these cars in the parking lot of these game nights. Like, what a great opportunity if you're one of those weirdos that that gets into that stuff. And um, uh, it's great. I mean, just be a weirdo on mission. Uh, and book clubs and. Support local arts, community theater. I mean, those kinds of things. You see, I'm talking about it's, it's just you have the hobbies, you have the interests. Just do it with gospel intentionality. I'm not asking you to start something new necessarily, or or do it less, or do it more. Just do it differently. Talk to coworkers. Number four, subpoint again. That's a duh. Okay, that's not hard. How hard is that? Not very, but it does take effort. To, to use your breaks, again, with this gospel intentionality. When a group goes to lunch, join them. Show genuine interest in your coworkers. Pray regularly for some of them. I mean, daily, just, God, give me opportunities. Let God burden your heart for their needs. Listen to them and pay attention when there's needs in their lives and offer encouragement point them to Christ. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you know, form a mom group in your neighborhood. Play dates with neighbors. Don't make it exclusively Christian. Uh, yes, Christians, get other believers together, but also mix it up with unbelievers. There's, we're going to talk about biblical community in a few weeks, and so I'll, we'll leave that one. But um, homeschool families, you think, ah, oh, this doesn't, no. Get in a co-op with Christians and non-Christians. There's a lot of Muslim families that homeschool. 
They have some of the same concerns you have. Uh, and, and so you can, you can get together with them and, and give you opportunity to, 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 to relate in, in that way. And finally, uh, this is the last sub point here. Use your table. Use your table. We eat three meals a day, 21 meals a week, unless you're on some strange diet or something. Um, make it a habit of using maybe, I mean, just start it, one meal a month even. That might be a, a huge step for you, but that's great. Start there. For some of you, maybe it's one meal a week to just have a, have a meal with a coworker who's not a believer or invite a family over from your neighborhood or someone you meet, your dry cleaner or whatever it is. I mean, have somebody in your home or meet them for coffee or meet them for breakfast. You don't have to entertain them. This is about hospitality. There's a big difference. This is not a fancy production. It, it can be ordering pizza, pulling out a frozen lasagna and a bag salad, and, and that is good. But you show genuine interest and you care and you ask questions and you really listen and you, you, you love them well. Um, uh, we, we've got friends in Memphis, Tennessee, Eric and Eric. Uh, we went up there for a conference and we stayed with them. And she talked, she, just, she is the consummate kind of southern hospitality. I mean, every, her house looks like it's out of Southern Living Magazine. But you feel so comfortable. And she talked about this when early on in her life and marriage, she wanted everything to be perfect. And it was stressful to have people over because she had to have the perfect meal and everything had to be the table had to be set. And she said, you know what, as I've gotten older and I encourage young moms, just get a deep freeze with frozen lasagnas full and you'll be tired of lasagna. But you just you can pull it out on in an instant and, and you've got a meal and just be friendly and welcome people. Have an open home. I appreciated that. I remember Carol Pass. I remember, you know, we have these memories of meals, and I mean, some of my greatest memories are around table with people. But I remember the, our, when we first came to Georgia, when Brooke and I came out to visit here, I'd already come out once by myself, but we had a ham sandwich at the Pass's house. But it was just like, ah, oh, it just was so good because <laughs> the friendliness and we were, you know, nervous and all this. And, and they were a familiar face. And I just, uh, it, it doesn't take much. Um, all right. Uh, third, pay attention to the margins of your world. Pay attention to margins. Keep, keep an eye out for the tax collectors of our day. There, there are people around us at work in our neighborhoods that, that others tend to shy away from and avoid. Say, I'm not saying exclusively, but those are those ought to be on our radar. Like there's there's opportunities there, and it's not just the homeless guy on the corner asking for money. It, it may just be somebody who's just kind of struggles socially and doesn't have many friends. I've had an opportunity with a guy at Panera Bread Company that that, um, that, that just noticed he was always alone. He just didn't seem comfortable people and we've formed a friendship and it's it's growing and so just be looking for those opportunities internationals it's great because they're here and maybe they're new new here or maybe they've been here a while but they still don't feel like they fit in so if i hear an accent i'm not oh where are you from where's that accent from but you know but i'm honestly trying to it's just it's, to me that's become through the sherwoods and their ministry it's it's cued me in like there are opportunities there when you when you when you meet internationals, but watch and listen for special needs. They, you may have neighbors who have a sign in their yard. Their sons in combat. There's grief. There's hurt. There's fear. There opportunity to show love. 
it's a boy in their yard and it's, it's a sign. And uh, they just had a baby and, you know, life's just gotten flipped upside down for some family. And, yeah, they're happy, but they're also scared and overwhelmed and opportunity there. Deaths in family, sickness, you know, some neighbor's grass isn't being cut. Something may be going on there. You don't complain to the homeowners association, but go and say, is everything okay? Can I, can I help? Um, um, so just be aware. Look for look for the mar- look at the margins. Ask people how you can pray for them. That's just a very I think that's a great w- thing, and I'm trying to do better about this. Just try that this week. You're just wanting to know how to start. Just start there, S- and just say, Hey, man, this may seem weird to you. But I'm a Christian, and I-, I pray for people. And is there any way that I can anything I can pray for you about? I'm telling you, even unbelievers, that that question it it's it's something they say. They will oftentimes open up in ways that surprise you, and they'll share real significant burdens and struggles of theirs with you. And there may be an opportunity to develop that relationship and to take it deeper just from that simple question. All right, fourth, participate in community life. Get involved in our community. Take part in local events. We have market days and festivals and community cleanup days and concerts and free classes. I mean, scour the local paper for events and opportunities that are coming up. Many of them are free. I mean, this is, this is fun, folks. This is not gloomy. Oh, we gotta do mission. No, this is good stuff. And so the, the few weeks ago on one weekend, it was great. We were busy and committed to other things, so I had to miss out. I was kind of grousing a little bit, but, There was lunch on the lawn at the Fayette County Courthouse. They have those monthly. There was a market day on Saturday, and there was a free movie night at the amphitheater in Fayetteville, if you live in Fayetteville. I mean, there's that kind of stuff happening all the time. And there's another free movie night on August 21st. I've got it on my calendar. And and this is is what you don't want to do. You don't want to get all your Christian buddies together, and you go and you sit and you just talk to one another. But this is what you do. You get a few Christian friends together, and you go and you take lots of good food Left for that you can share and toys for the kids and glow sticks and stuff like that. And you go and you sit and you've got people around you and you start talking. And you meet, hey, meet my friends here. And you don't know. I mean, sometimes nothing happens. But there may be friendships that are formed and opportunities that are opened up. And so that's the kind of stuff. That's, again, that's not, this isn't, this isn't hard. I mean, my kids like to watch movies. It's not like I'm getting them twisting their arm. I mean, this is just the stuff of life. And, and again, notice what we're not talking about. We're not talking about organizing a big event to bring people here to our church campus. There's already stuff happening. They're there already. So let's go to them. Let's go to them loving people, loving Jesus, sowing the seeds of the gospel early and often in those relationships. Um, all right. There's so much. All right. I last, I'd just say start near and small. Start with your neighbors across the driveway, across the street. They may have lived there for eight years and you don't even know their names yet. That's okay. But don't go another ninth year. You know, just learn their names. Learn what their interests are. Learn what their struggles are. And begin to build those relationships. It's, again, start small. It may not be inviting 100 people over for a big cookout. It may be inviting one family over for dessert, not even a full meal. And just, again, getting... In your foot in the door in that relationship. All right. Well, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that you are not already doing these things and many of these things. I. I some of you just excel in this. This is just intuitive for you, it seems. And I, I just 
marvel at that because it still requires such deliberate work on my part. And I pray that it becomes more part of who I am. But I'm just beginning to learn these things. And and most of the things I've learned have been from watching many of you. And so I, I just, this is not a... It's not an attempt to burden you with a thousand other duties. That's, that would be self-defeating with this whole point of this series. I'm trying to show how accessible a leveraged life is. It's, it's to stimulate you to think about your life, your gifts, your interests, your situation, your workplace, your school, your neighborhood. And, and, and you'll think of things that I could have never imagined and should have been on my list but I didn't think about. Um, just a couple closing words and then we'll... We'll go to the table. Just one pray. Pray. Pray with your eyes open. So asking God to help you. Asking God to keep you motivated. Asking God for opportunities. And then watch. Watch how God answers. Second, prepare to feel overwhelmed. Uh, you don't have what it takes. You don't have enough time even though you prioritize it. You don't have, you're not good at remembering names even though you write them down and try real hard. You, you don't love as Jesus loved even though you want to follow him and be like him. We need God. So it's, there's risk with relationships. It's messy and it's, people will disappoint you. People will take advantage of you. Some, uh, some people will, won't do, uh, won't, won't want anything to do with you and that's gonna hurt. And but but don't let that deter you. It's complicated. It's messy. It's not always clear cut. You're going to make mistakes and learn along the way. But 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 go go forward. Don't be deterred by those things. And then finally, remember that motives matter. And and I, this is really important. And I'll I'll say more about this in the coming. Don't you don't want the smack of insincerity. So don't. This is not. Don't forget the compassion of Christ that we talked about two weeks ago. So don't move forward. And with ulterior motives, like if you're looking to put scalps on your belt, like evangelistic projects and trying to close the deal with people. And it's, it's like friendship with strings attached. It's not, it's, it's not how Jesus was. There's, there's, we need ultimate motives. We need to be patient and purposeful and kind and loving and yet bold. We, we don't say this. We don't love people to convert them. We love people because we are converted. That's a big difference in motivation. And and so that's where we need to go. And next week, uh, Eric's going to come. And one of the greatest objections and f- first obstacles that you'll face is, I don't have time for this. We're so busy. And, and again, the point, and I've said this many times, is we're not trying to add a bunch of new activities and make your life more complicated. It's actually about simplifying your life. But what will happen in the ordinariness of life, as you begin to really look and be aware of people and engage with people, you're going to get into relationships, and relationships are messy, and relationships are are complicated, and they take time. And so there will be time and, and extra demands, and so we need to preserve margin in our lives so that we can allow for God to open up plumbing uh, emergencies and and our schedules will be interrupted, and we need to be okay with that. And so you don't have a marginal preacher next week, but we're going to be talking about margin. And uh, he's, he's raring to go. So, And then John Sherwood's going to come in two weeks and deal with that we need to be marked by mercy. And so we'll continue on. Well, at the center of the Christian life is a table, as a meal. I mean, we're talking about using the meals, and this meal is an act of remembrance, an act of 
of community and it's an, it's a, it's an act of dependence and it's an act of participation in the body and blood of Christ. But, but it, it, this is it. We're, we're so busy and we so, we, we're, we're bad about not slowing down and, and, and sitting down and eating in normal life. But what we really need to do is slow down and eat and drink and rest in the finished work of Christ together. And so that's what we're going to do now. Jesus didn't just say, think this in remembrance of me. He said, eat, drink, do this in remembrance of me, this tangibleness to the table that's to recall us of what Christ has done as we do this together. And so we're going to do that in a moment. And let's pray before we, before we go there and sing. Let's, Father, we do pray that you would help us now as we come to the table that that um, we would we would come that you would quiet our hearts you would slow us down um, slow me down Lord and and just help me to just enjoy the tastes textures and reminding myself of what Christ has done and may it be this this table that just sets us loose to think about how we can use our table uh, for mission because Jesus is so much better and we love him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.